Mark 14, verse 66. So this is right after Jesus has told his disciples over and over again that he's about to be handed over to the Romans. He's told them numerous times they still can't get it. They're, they're, they're not willing to accept it. They're like totally living in an alternate reality. They're living in an alternate reality is what it is. And Peter uh, has watched Jesus be arrested. And I don't think he's fully grasped what's happening yet. Uh, but he's followed Jesus to the high priest's house where Jesus is being interrogated and he's in the courtyard. And, and, and I, I feel like Peter doesn't really understand what's happening is because Peter was so delusional. You remember when he tried to tell Jesus, there's no way we're going to let you be arrested. And then what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Oh, could you imagine? Could you imagine there's a, there's a place where you can be so filled by your flesh and so absorbed by what your flesh wants that you're partnering with the devil? That's what was happening. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Peter, I know you don't get this, but I got to rebuke the devil out of your mind because your flesh has consumed you. You don't understand. I'm going to be handed over. It gets so out of control. Peter slashes off uh, one of the high priest's servant's ear. He still doesn't get it. But Jesus is arrested. Peter is in fear, but he follows him. And we find him warming himself at the fire of the high priest. How many of you know when you try to find comfort in the world is probably where you're going to betray Jesus? Isn't that right? So let's just read the scripture. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you're one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little, little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you are a Galilean. Peter swore, and this is really, I can't believe what you're reading here, but Peter swears a curse upon himself. He curses himself. He says, a curse on me if I'm lying. That's how bad the fear and the denial was in Peter's heart. He curses himself. I don't know this man you're talking about. And this is immediately after telling Jesus he would follow him to the grave. And what does Jesus say to him? No, man, you, you don't know what you're saying. You don't love me like you say you love me. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows twice. You will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and he wept. And some uh, renditions say wept bitterly because that's what he did. And why did he weep bitterly? Because it was at that moment that he realized he didn't love Jesus as much as he thought he did. It was word service. He loved the things Jesus stood for. He loved the things Jesus could do and provide. And he certainly loved the things Jesus had did in his own life. But he didn't just love Jesus. And so in this moment of trial and, and persecution, and in this moment of, of being pressed, Peter's heart's revealed. He wasn't actually following Jesus. He was following what Jesus could do. See, this is actually a good thing. It, it seems like a bad thing, but this is actually the moment 
where Peter's freedom actually begins in his life. And, I, and what I want you to understand, it's just the same for you. All of us need to have this moment where it's revealed that we're not actually following Jesus. We're following what he can do. We're worshiping what we want. We're crying out for what we need. But we're not actually learning to be submitted to his will. It's important if you don't have that moment, you can live your entire Christian life unsatisfied because you've never resolved in your heart that he's enough. He's enough. And so Peter's in this moment, and he denies Christ right after he said, I'll follow you to the grave. He go, Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. You haven't reconciled in your heart that you love me yet. You still love what I can do for you. How many of you know that all of us come to Jesus not because of who he is, but because of what he does for us. Almost all of us. It's very rare. In the Muslim world, it's kind of happening differently right now. People are just seeing the man in white and being struck by his glory and then following him. That's a very rare thing. That doesn't happen all the time. Think about your own salvation moment. Most of us come to Jesus because we realize that we need what he has. We need his life. And it's sort of a selfish motive, but it's good. You have to understand that you're not enough for yourself. You have to understand that there's a finite end to you, that you're not enough to take you to where you were created to be. And so most of us come to Jesus because we realize we need him and what he has to fix our lives. That's a good thing. But there has to be a moment where there's a transition in your heart where you begin to worship him, not because of what he does, but because of who he is. Because of who he is. If not, you'll be confused when things go wrong. You'll be scared and, and unwilling to be obedient, unwilling to trust him. You'll be you, what, what we call, you'll fall away. You'll backslide because you don't understand how could God lead me to a place that doesn't make sense where everything is out of control if he's supposed to be the one that I sing about every Sunday doing all these awesome things. See, Jesus didn't mince words. Remember when the disciples asked him, how will we know when the end is coming? How will we know? And what does he tell them? It'll be like fields of flowers. Everybody will be getting along. You're going to totally love it. No, little to no persecution. No, what does he say? There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars before the wars even happen, but then there's going to be wars. There's going to be calamity all over the earth. Families are going to be split apart. There's going to be lawlessness. People are going to worship themselves. So why do we get unsettled when we see these things? If he was so clear about it and he told us to be so sober about it, why does our heart begin to run and, and, and be, be chasing things of the world and comforts of the world when these things begin to happen? Because we haven't reconciled in our hearts that he's enough. He's enough. See, he was clear. He said, be prepared for these things, not so that you can find comfort in the world, but so you can be bold, so you can be ready, so you can be part of the end-time bride that cries out, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're ready for your glorious return. Come and consume this earth and bring a new heaven and a new earth into reality. But you can't do that if you're, if you're not following him. You're just following the things that he can do for you. Let's look at Peter's beginning, how he came to Jesus. You guys remember how 
Peter came to Jesus. Luke 5, verse 1. Let's just read it. I told you we're going to read, read a lot of scripture. But it, I think it's worth, worth digging into. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of, Gal- of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let your nets catch some fish. Master, and this word master here is like paying respect, master, but it also means teacher. Because how did Peter know him at this point? He didn't know him. He was just a guy teaching people the word of God. So he's paying him honor and respect, sort of like, you know, it's Pastor Appreciation Month in, in Israel. And, and, yeah, you can use my boat. It's no big deal. You know, he lets him onto this boat. We, but, Master, we worked hard all last night. It didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boats, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as, the, as were the others who were with him. His partners, James John, the sons, sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. What an incredible scene. So Jesus is out there. Simon Peter, or just Peter, doesn't know who he is. He's there with his business partners. And they're in sort of a crisis situation. Why do we know this is a crisis situation? Because why would this cause such awestruck in him if it wasn't? He'd spent all night fishing. No fish. For him, that means no money. No money means you're in a bad situation. So Jesus comes out there. He's teaching all these people. He sees the boats. He pushes out on them without even asking permission, which I think is kind of funny. But then he says to to Peter, hey, you allowed your business to come under my ministry and be a support. I want to bless it. How many of you know that when you purpose what you have to glorify God, you come under his blessing? That's, That's a good word. You should just receive that. Whatever you have in your life that you're trying to make work, just bring it under his authority. Just bring it under his sovereignty. He'll bless it. Right, so he's out there, and now Peter's business is supporting the ministry of Jesus. How beautiful is that? But they're still in a crisis situation. They haven't caught anything all day. And Jesus says, just put your nets out one more time. Peter is humoring him. He doesn't know this guy. He's been fishing all night. He's a professional fisherman. He's been doing this his entire life. He's only doing it to be respectful to the fact that he's a teacher of the Torah. But he does it. Now, we know this was an impactful moment for Peter because Peter was awestruck. And it makes him understand his own sinfulness. See, this is how we come to Jesus. He blesses us by showing us how dead we are without him. And that we need him. And so Peter has this revelatory moment where he understands, I need you. And it's not because of who Jesus is. It's because of what Jesus did for him. Right? Right? It's the same thing with all of us. We're we're all humans. We're all people. We all have the same story where Jesus came into our brokenness, healed us, fixed us, turned us around, and then said, come follow me. 
See, at the end of this exchange, Jesus makes a commitment to Peter. What's the commitment? I'll make you fisher of men. What's he saying? I'm going to turn you into a man who is so consumed by me, you won't be able to help yourself but to build my kingdom. How many of you know that those words were not yet proved in the high priest's garden? Not yet proved. And we know that because Peter goes into hiding. How many of you know there's no records of Peter being present at the trial, at the crucifixion, or the burial of Jesus? Did you know that? Why do you think Peter wasn't there? He was ashamed of himself. He didn't like the contents of his heart when things got hard, when he got pressed. But how many of you know it was important that it happened? It was important that Peter realized what was actually in there. So he goes into hiding like most of the disciples, and who could blame them? They're all criminals now. They're all being persecuted, and to them, there was no overthrow of the Roman government. There was no big showdown. There was no apocalyptic event. There was just Jesus being arrested and crucified, and now everything we gave our lives up for is gone. So they're ashamed, especially Peter, because he was the one who was going to stand with Jesus to the end. So you can only imagine that bitter weeping didn't just stop the night he betrayed Jesus. It probably carried on for the next week. And he's in hiding, and it says that he's so caught up in his pity party, so self-absorbed at this moment, he's not even a part of any of the things that happens to Jesus. Who's the first person to find Jesus after the crucifixion? Mary Magdalene. The one who had seven demons cast out of her. It says that she goes to the tomb, and this is in, just to make it official, Mark 16. Goes to the tomb, there, the stone is rolled away, there's an angel, and the angel says this in verse 6. But he said to them, don't be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen, he's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Did you ever notice that before? Go tell his disciples. And the one who feels shame right now, the one who, who doesn't trust himself, the one who is so broken because of what's happened, go tell Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they, trem- for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Is that funny? Did you ever notice that before that the angel said, go tell everybody, but specifically tell Peter? That really shook me this week. Uh, this is what I want you to hear today. If you feel ashamed of yourself, if you feel like you've, you've fallen away or you feel like you've not done enough to, to do what God has called you to, he's not ashamed of you. He's actually waiting to meet you again where he called you. Where did he tell him to meet him? The Sea of Galilee. Where did he first meet Peter? Sea of Galilee was the place where he called him and he said, you know what? Peter is so beat up by his shame. He's so beat up by his failure. He's hiding from me right now. He doesn't believe the call still stands. Go tell him I'm looking for him because I love him and I want to find him in that call again and breathe my life into him so he can do what I called him to do. Same thing is for you today. You don't, you don't understand that you can't disqualify what God has called you to. 
You can't disqualify it. You maybe can stall it. You maybe can run from it for a while. But until you do what you're called to do, the, the, the hunt from heaven is not going to end. It's not going to end. I, I know church culture in America is you make a mistake, you get ostracized. I get it. I understand. There is places for boundaries, and there's times where people just need to, to be removed for a season. But I want you to know this. The call is not revoked from your life. God has said you're, you're to do it, so he's going to see you through it, and he's going to meet you in the place of the call. You don't understand the gravity of what Peter did. What, what did Jesus say about those who, who were afraid to acknowledge him before man. I won't acknowledge you before the Father. What did Peter do? He didn't acknowledge him before man. And, and what is he saying to him in this moment? Meet me back of the call. Meet me back of the call. So the story's a little, the, the history's a little convoluted. Of course, Jesus appears to the, 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 the folks on the road to Emmaus, and he appears in the, in the room and shows them their hands. But there's no, like, real record of Jesus having an intimate conversation with them until John 21. And that's where I want us to go is John 21. And I'm just going to read this out. And, again, I'm sorry for reading all these scriptures in church. Could you believe it? <laughs> John 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples. Where do you guess he appeared to them? It's up there on the board, isn't it? Sea of Galilee. Isn't that beautiful? Right where he started. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter. Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Nathaniel. And then who else? Peter's business partners, the sons of. Isn't that just beautiful? Same place they started, same people. And two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> we'll come too, they said. And so they went out, out on the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Does this seem familiar? Same situation. How many of you know Peter probably should not have been a fisherman? <laughs> he just, the, both accounts of his fishing in the scripture were really a disaster. He doesn't catch anything. Maybe he should have been like a, a sheep herder or something. I don't know. But the truth is, is, until you accept what you're called to do, nothing else in your life will connect. I know that from experience. I mean, I, I, I've done everything up until accepting what I was called to do. It didn't connect. It didn't connect. And it's the same thing for you. You will always feel dissatisfied when you're not walking in what you're called to do. You just need to submit to it. And I know you may have been disappointed before, but all you have to do is say, Lord, yes, I'll trust you again, not because necessarily I like what I'm doing, but because you are enough, you satisfy me. You satisfy my heart. And I can be obedient to you, not because of the fruitfulness of what I'm doing, but because of the fruitfulness of being in love with you. See, Peter didn't know this yet. He didn't, he didn't have this, this sermon to help him. So he goes back to what he knows. He goes back to fishing, and he's a disaster at it. He goes, how many of you know that when, when you are disappointed by your walk with God, you go back to the comforts of the world, don't you? You go back to the comforts. You go back to the things you know how to do. You go back to the things that you can put your hands on and can protect you from being disappointed again. But that's where the Lord wants to meet you. So it says he goes back to fishing. They work all night, verse 4. 
at dawn, Jesus was, again, just the parallel. When did Peter betray Jesus in the high priest's garden? It was at dawn. I don't know if you know that, but that phrase before the rooster crows three times is an ancient phrase. It talks about the new day starting, the rooster begins to crow, right? So it's when the rooster begins to crow. Uh, Those of you who have roosters know that sometimes they get their nights and days mixed up. But Jesus said this as a phrase. Uh, It's a period of time right before the, the morning starts. The rooster begins to crow three times. And so it's at the same time of day that Peter betrays Jesus that he meets him again in his shame. Isn't that beautiful? He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. I don't understand how Peter didn't recognize what was going on yet. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, okay, just understand that John wrote this. And he's, he's like 20 years younger than Peter, right? So that's why he beat him to the grave. How many of you know Peter's like mid-40s, almost 50? John was like in his 20s. So when John writes that he beat him to the grave, he's got like 20 years of endurance on him. <laughs> kind of unfair. But John being young, you know how young people are. They just kind of like write things in. So he, he doesn't fail to mention that Jesus loved him. How many of you know Jesus loves you? Just as much as he loves John. But do you have the boldness that John had to talk about it like he did? So he writes that in there. But then the, the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for his trip for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. There's a lot of different reasons why people think Peter put his tunic on before he jumped in the water. One of them is that he thinks maybe he'll get to walk on the water again. I don't really buy that because what happened to Peter the last time he walked on water? He sank. He was rebuked for his fear. He's already in shame right now. He's already running from Jesus. So why would he embarrass himself in that way again. You know why I think Peter did that? To cover himself up. He was just ashamed. He just didn't want Jesus to see his nakedness. And how many of you know a lot of us come to church covered up in our tunics because we don't want to be vulnerable before God? I want you to think about Peter's life. Did you know that when Mark wrote this gospel and before it was canonized into scripture, he had to vet it with Peter? Did you know that? And that Peter had to say, you know, this is really telling of my heart. This is really making me look vulnerable and kind of weak. But yeah, that's the truth. And Peter allows us to look at his life. There's not many recounts of scripture like this where you get to see the vulnerability of such a prideful person as they fall and then are restored. And a lot of us think that if we hide things and we cover ourselves and we make it look like we have it all together, that we're walking in some sort of power, that's a fabrication. Until you're willing to be weak before the Lord and vulnerable and expose yourself before him, you're never going to experience what he wants to do in your life. You'll always be walking in your own strength. And so Peter, who's still wrapped up in his shame, throws his cloak on, jumps in the water to prove to Jesus, I love you. You can imagine at any moment, he's just, he realized he's been caught. He's, he, you know, he didn't realize it was Jesus at this point, but now he realizes it. And now he's, I'll prove to you that I love you. I'm sorry for what I did. And he's swimming back to shore. 
The others stayed with a boat and pulled the loaded net to shore for their only, they were only 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring the fish you caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went on board, dragged the net to shore. There were 150 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. I don't really know why there's 153 fish. I've been researching it all week. I don't know. So maybe you know and you can email me. But I love that Jesus somehow had fish ready for them that wasn't of the net they caught. See, he, he doesn't need what he gives you. He's already got enough to provide for you and what he wants to do. He calls you because he loves you. And so Peter's made it to shore. He's ready to prove himself to Jesus. And what's there to meet him? Breakfast and a fire. See, Peter had warmed himself at the fire of the high priest, comforting himself in the things of the world. But Jesus was about to restore him in his fire, built by his presence, kindled by his love. See, and again, you might feel ashamed of yourself for not being able to, to walk in what God has called you to, but he still has a fire prepared for you. He's still calling to f- you to fellowship with him, to walk with him, to just sit with him and commune. Bring some of the fish you caught, Jesus said. And we read that part. Verse 12, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And I love that. They didn't know, but they knew that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to know, but you know. And, though, and for those who know, you know what I'm talking about. Like you're just following Jesus in faith, and sometimes you're like, is this Jesus? But you know it's Jesus, and that's good enough. <laughs> then Jesus served them the bread and fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? This is the question all of us need to have presented to us by the Holy Spirit. Do you love me more than these? What are the these? The things I can give you. Do you love me more than the blessings I can pour out to you? Do you love me? More than the things that you can do. See, some of us are not willing, to, willing to, to admit it yet, but we trust what we can do more than we trust following Jesus. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this thing you've been doing your whole life? Do you love me than the thrill of being associated with me and the ministry I was doing before? Do you love me more than that? Do you just love me? Of course, we know what Peter says. He says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus responds to him, then feed my lambs. Go back to the call. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, you know I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says that Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. I used to think that maybe Peter was offended, but I think the Holy Spirit showed me. I don't think, I don't think Peter was like, why do, you keep, why do you keep asking me? You know, you know. I think Peter was hurt because he realized that in his heart he didn't love Jesus. What Jesus was asking him. That really got me this week. 
says that he was hurt by the question because the question was revealing the true content of his heart. See, all of us need to have this pressed against us. Lord, I love you. I love you. But then him revealing these are the places in your heart where you don't actually live what you say. These are the places in your heart where it's just lip service. These are the places in your heart where you've made it about you, the things that I can do for you, the ministry that you're doing, the the works of your hand. These are the places of your heart where this has not become true yet. So what Jesus was actually doing was he was stirring up that night in Peter where he betrayed him and giving him opportunity to confront it because Jesus doesn't need you to be perfect. He doesn't need you to have it all together. He doesn't need your work. He doesn't need your ministry. He just needs you to be real. And to say yes despite your weakness. See, that's the glory of Peter's life. It's not what he could do. It's that he was actually real before God. See, this is the guy who was cutting people with swords, who was saying he would do anything for Jesus, who would go anywhere, who was yelling at folks. But then when it came down to it, his heart actually wasn't worshiping Jesus. He was worshiping what he could do. And Jesus reveals it to him. But the important part is not that Jesus revealed it to him. Jesus revealed it to him. It hurt him, and he still said yes. He still said yes. See, that's what Jesus wants from us. He doesn't doesn't need you to have it all together. He doesn't need you to be fully fixed in your heart. You're never going to be this side of heaven. He just needs you to continue to say yes and allow you to be drawn deeper into his love. Just be drawn deeper into his love. And then Jesus says this to verse 18, in verse 18, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, you went wherever you wanted to go, but when you are old, see, when you were young is when he was following Jesus. I don't think you understand that. When he was young, he was still following Jesus. You can be young in faith and follow Jesus, it's okay, but at some point there needs to be a shift. There needs to be a shift. And this is what Peter says next, and, or Jesus says next. He says, but when you are old, so more mature in faith, when you've finally made this thing about me and not you, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to him to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Being told by the Lord what kind of death you would glorify him with? I mean, just, just let that sink in for a second. I, I, I'm not trying to shame anybody. Like, we, we all got lives to live, and it's important what you do is glorifying God. But did you know there's a way that you will die that's ordained by God that will glorify him in a way that your life never could? Let that break something just real quick. Just let it break something. See, this is not, the, this is not the, the, the fullness of eternity, is it? Tina, it's not, is it? No. No, we, we get to enjoy it because we get to, to, to serve him in the, in the place of faith where we don't understand and we, we wrestle and it's painful, but we get to say yes anyways, even though our hearts aren't really saying yes, we get to say yes. But then there's a day when we get to leave this world and we get to stand before him and go, Wow, I would do it again a hundred times over if you give me the opportunity because today is worth it. Today is worth it. 
And that's what he's saying to Peter is, is you're going to get to a place of maturity and faith with me that you are not going to worry about this life anymore. You're going to be so ready to hand yourself over to me in faith that there'll be people who tell you what to do and tell you where to go and put you in places you don't want to be and do the things you'd never wish upon anyone, but you'll do it not because of who you are or what you can do or the content of your heart. You'll do it because you'll be consumed by my love. You'll be consumed by my love. See, that's the fullness of living this life is being consumed by the love of Jesus. <laughs> Until you reconcile that, you will always be dissatisfied. You will always be running from what you're actually called to because there will be something more comforting for you to, to run to. But remember, Jesus restores Jesus by kindling a fire of his presence. And some of us just need that again. We need to get before Jesus and be warmed by his presence so we can be reminded of his love. We know that Peter fulfilled the call. What was the call? Make you fisher of men. Jesus asks him again if he loves him. He says yes. He tells him, you will be a fisher of men, and this is how you're going to glorify my life. And history tells us that Peter was crucified like Jesus, right? He was one of the, the, the greatest leaders of the New Testament church. It says in Galatians, he was the, uh, the uh, Paul writes, he was the apostle to the Jews. And how many of you know you don't want to be the, the apostle to the church people? You want to be the apostle to the new believers. That's much easier. You just go in, wow, pow, here's the show. Go out, not deal with those folks anymore. He's the, the apostle to the Jews, the church folk, the religious folk. He had a pretty tough situation that got so bad for him at one point, we read about it in Galatians, that he, he almost, lo- he, he ate one way with the Gentiles, one way with the Jews to try to, to keep things preserved for himself. But Paul reminds him and corrects him and, and, and straightens him out, right? But Peter was an anointed man of God. It said he was so full of God's love that in Acts, he would walk by people laying on mats and his shadow would heal them. This is the same guy who denied Jesus in the high priest's garden. He's so full of the anointing, he's so full of love that he doesn't even have to look at you or touch you. The shadow falls on you and Jesus heals people. But he knew that wasn't the fullness of his call. He knew the fullness of his call was to give his life according to how God had called him. And so Nero, the emperor in Rome at the time, eventually catches him. They they get him finally. You know, he escaped from jail the one time, but this time they get him and they crucify him. And as they're crucifying him, I think you all know the story. He asks them, please do me the honor of not being crucified the way my Savior was. Flip me upside down because I don't feel worthy. See, that's, that's a life well lived. That's a life led by love. That's a life that finally realized in the maturity of faith that it's not about what Jesus can do. It's about him. It's about him. And this is what the church needs to be reminded to because it, this, is, this is a trap set by the enemy. It's that every light election cycle will, will get riled up. We'll try to do better. We'll make a big scene. But until we just fall in love with Jesus and live the life he's called us to, it won't make a difference. The government has been put upon his shoulders, it says. What does that mean? It means that he actually has authority. He carries and stewards the government. But do you know who he gave it to? He gave it to his church. He said, I gave you the keys. So that means that we don't actually take it from his pocket and and move his hand. He gave it to us. He said, you hold it. You use it. You do what you're called to do because I trust you. But we can't accomplish the mission until we finally begin to trust him. 
until we begin to be devoted beyond what we want, devoted beyond what we think we need, devoted on beyond what we feel like makes us feel good, and we're just in love with him and are, and are obedient to what he's doing. So I just feel like we're to repent this morning. We're just to repent for everything that we've made an idol before Jesus in our relationship with him. So if, 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 if like me, you know, you, you, you have seasons of glory and then seasons of like, ooh, I'm kind of gross. It, it's not about shaming ourselves or making a, a, a scene or like or trying to pretend we're more pious by being, beating our chest or anything like that. It's just getting real before God and admitting to him, I need to be vulnerable before you so I can lose the expectations of what I want from you and begin to follow you in simple obedience because here's the thing, disappointments will come, disappointments will go, but until your, your joy and your satisfaction is fixated upon just doing what he's called you to do because of who he is, you will never be satisfied. So let's stand and pray. So Father, we just come before you just as real people this morning. just as real people, God, and we ask there to be a shift in our hearts. Even before we get to the, f- the fullness of the holiday season, and even if we're carrying something already that's disappointed us, God, if, even if we've walked away from faith because we've been burned by the church or we, we've just been told by people that we're too, uh, too self-righteous or whatever it is, God, I just ask right now we would step before you and we would give you the real contents of our heart. Because, Jesus, here's, here's the truth. We just love you. We love you in a very weak human way. But, God, you say that's enough. And you're not ashamed of us. You say that's enough, and you're not ashamed of us. And even though we hide from you in church, and even though we hide from you in the things that we can do, and even though we, we build our own little kingdoms, you're still looking for us. And you're sitting at the grave of our lives, and you're saying our names. Because you love us. There's no agenda in you, Lord. If the world ended tomorrow and everything that you called us to do was a failure, you would still look us in the eye and say, I love you. I love you. I love you. We need to be captivated by that because this world needs a people, as Peter was, not set on fire for the things we can do, but just consumed by your love. So even if the things in our life don't work out the way we want them to, even if we're just wore down by disappointment or we don't feel like we can ever get ahead, God, we just want to say right now, yes, we love you. We love you. And that's the only thing that matters. And we receive your love. We're just going to take a moment to repent of anything you need to repent for. The altar is open if you need prayer. Love you guys.
Give me cheese. 